When um, Zeke is now eight, he's going to turn nine this year, and early on, people were full of advice and wisdom for me as a new parent, and I began to go, they would tell me I had to go to these places and check these things out, and to your amazement, even eight years ago, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, all these things were not around to give you ideas on how to be a dad, and I'm not going to run to MySpace for parenting advice, right? Okay, MySpace is not where you want to go for parenting advice. So um, that was eight years ago. And so uh, what's amazing about it was there was a blog that came out right around the time I had become a dad. It was called HowToBeADad.com. And these guys are brilliant. They are hilarious. They draw diagrams of everything for you. And so they give some warnings for new dads on how to handle babies. And so I wanted to show you, take you through these really quickly. They would give you warnings on how to contain your baby. You can see these pictures as we're flying through them. We're going to contain our baby. Don't do it this way. Do it this way. Warnings on checking your baby's diaper. Uh, warning, and you can fly through these. I'm not going to go slow. Warning. Uh, yeah, you don't want to do that. Warning on drying your baby. Uh, warnings on exercising your baby. Warnings on lifting your baby. Uh, warnings on introducing your baby to a pet. Uh, warnings... Warnings on playing with your baby, warnings on shopping with your baby, and eventually they have one that's warnings on how to wake your baby, but we all know, never wake your baby. Uh, that's, that's a silly warning. Um, but in real life, um, we kind of do this, this thing with real warnings. Uh, my wife and I, uh, we did the Grand Canyon thing, and we, we kind of bucked the system, and they tell you don't go down and back up in one day. Well, we were like, we're young, we can do the 12, 13, 14 mile, whatever it is, and, and we did it, and we succeeded. But when you show up at the Grand Canyon, you begin to see signs like this. There's this one sign that says, down is an op- option, but up is mandatory. And so there's all these different things they tell you to do or not to do when you go. Um, you'll see pictures like this of hikers uh, in very precarious uh, positions vomiting. Um, and this is, they're trying to warn you. They're like, this is the real deal. You don't want to do this. This is dangerous. You could die. Uh, they actually have signs on the edges if you look at, at the Grand Canyon. And you'll be doing a high five to the air if you get too close uh, to the edge. What I found fascinating about this was I googled Grand Canyon warning. And there was a picture of this guy. I don't even know who he is. You can throw him up there on the, on the, he's mocking the warning. Like it's in the first, like two pictures, three pictures. He's mocking and laughing at the warning. And I was like, how telling of that is it today when we do that? Now, granted, I fall, I fell into all those categories. I did everything I was not supposed to. I crossed boundaries, stepped out onto cliff ledges. Doreen was furious at me, all this different stuff. Because I thought I knew better. And so typically when we see the exclamation point with the triangle, and I, and I have the image for you guys, when we see this, we kind of go, eh, maybe. What was crazy is I had like three minutes of sitting down yesterday, and in the three minutes I read this article online, and this is the title of the article that I read online yesterday, uh, and it has to do with a certain alligator. This man... Yesterday in Texas says, blank the alligators. And you know what the word blank is, therefore. Man dies from alligator attack in Texas after ignoring warning signs. The article starts with this. A man was killed by an alligator in Texas after he ignored both warning signs and his friends and decided to take a late night swim in a marina. 
there were signs all over because the owner had seen this alligator and was like, dude, this is a 12-foot alligator. It is not a joke. And apparently he had told co-workers and employees he was going to go swimming that night. And they were all like, you're crazy. Don't do it. But he did it. And I was reading that the very last line of the article says, the Houston Chronicle reported that Friday's attack was the first verified fatality due to an alligator attack in 200 years in Texas. And so there's something about that that makes us go, well, it's not going to be me. Like, I could do this, and it's not going to be me. Nobody else. And it's a sad time. It really is. I know that we're sitting here learning from this guy's mistake, but it is, this is, this is a guy who was a son, maybe a dad, maybe a brother. I don't know, but the tragic consequences of ignoring warning signs. And let me tell you about the warning signs on the coast of North Carolina. They're everywhere. But I brought some, I brought a friend to, to share a warning with you that she does it better than I do anyway, so. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and eat meat in it. Hallelujah. I'm on my way to church this morning, but I wanted to make a quick video um, because my spirit was troubled this morning. I had the news on. They were talking about somebody else and got ate up by a shark. I want you all to be mindful when you're vacationing. You know, you going to the beach, do that. Go to the beach. Don't go to the ocean, okay? The ocean is the shark's house. The shark has the right to eat you up when you in his house. When chickens come in my house, guess what? They get ate. When kids come in my house, they own the plate. So when you go in the shark's house, you're going to get ate up, okay? So I want you to be safe. I want you to be happy you know let's let's use some common sense if you go into the beach go to the beach you watch the ocean from a distance <laughs> this is the day that the lord uh, has made okay that's repeating resort. yeah there you go all right you look at the ocean from a distance i love that it's fantastic but warnings are for our good they really are and um having the knowledge of someone else's experience really does help us from making the same mistakes or ending with the same results. And why do we have warning labels? Warning labels on, you know, on medication. I mean, who, what, what company pays a, a voice actor to read off more of the warnings than actually what the, the, the drug actually does? It's because if you're using it and these things show up, it's a good sign. You need to stop taking that medication. Here's the deal. Why do we hate warnings? And let's just get to the heart of it. It's because I don't want to be told what's best for me. It's why we hate warnings. We don't want somebody to suggest that they know what's better for us than we do. That's the heart of it. I, I, don't, I don't know any other reason we would not like someone stopping us and warning us for our good. And this is, our, this is really our displeasure with Scripture because that God would know better is foolishness to us. The scripture serves as wisdom. We see the warnings for those who did not heed God's wisdom and the disastrous results. We see God's warning and we see people responding to it and saying yes. And we see the life and peace that it led to. And so when you're considering this morning, we've talked about God's wisdom and the world's wisdom specifically last week. I want to ask you some very specific questions when you hear God's word. Which wisdom do you honestly believe is going to bring you life? The world's wisdom or God's wisdom? Do you believe that God's wisdom is a one-way track to death and emptiness and without 
and that your wisdom will gain you all that you possibly could ever want? Do you see God's wisdom as, as, as life-taking or do you see it as life-giving? These are the things I think we have to consider when we consider God's warnings because that's going to reveal our hearts a little bit more. When we hear something from God's word and we go, no, that's not life-giving, we're saying we know better. And so when, when, when we lay out God's warnings, therefore are good, if we're looking at the scripture and we're looking at God's overall purpose for you and I, we're looking at warnings that are for our good, not to ruin our lives. The scripture point us to the fullest life possible, not to the worst life possible. And I know sometimes the scripture have been twisted, they've been used incorrectly, they've been beat over people, and yes, there seems to be this ugliness that comes to it, but when you understand what God is doing from Genesis to Revelation, the rescue play that he has instilled for us, that he's transforming us, that he will come again, and he will pull for himself a people holy, made holy, not by our works, but by what Jesus has done, there is life and peace and justice that comes with it, according to James last week. So James continues to help believers remember what they are doing in the meantime. And I know sometimes we don't like to talk about eternity, but for Christ followers, eternity is, is a perspective we take very seriously. And what I mean by that is knowing that God is working all things to an end that he has already determined. And that is God being with his people. Genesis was a picture of God wanting to be with his people, people rebelling, God saying, your rebellion's not going to keep my plan from happening. And the whole of scripture is God going, you cannot thwart my plans. And in the end, in Revelation, God, the picture is God coming down, being with his people. That's the plan. That's the rescue plan. And so Christ followers live with a very real understanding that this is not it. Now, I'm not talking about the golden ticket heaven people, the people who are like, I got my golden ticket. I'm just going to sit in my wait and sit in my house and wait for the Lord to come. That's not what we're talking about here. Actually, Paul has to address this mentality with the Thessalonians. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, he says this, Yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work and meddling in other people's business. We command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and work to earn their own living. As for the rest of you, dear brothers and sisters, never get tired of doing good. C.S. Lewis talked about people who were so heavenly minded that they were of no earthly good. There are people who are like, I'm set my eyes on eternity, so I forget about everything else. Forget about you. We're not people who our eyes are on the skies or our head is in the sand. We're people who do these works motivated by faith. Knowing that God's grace has rescued us, causes us, pushes us out to work to see God's rescue plan coming into the lives of people. And that is reconciliation, a bringing back to God through faith in Christ. And so Christ followers don't live foolishly. We don't live lazily. And we don't live as if we don't live in reality. We know things are tough. We know things are difficult. But we ultimately know that there is a God who is coming to rescue those who are his. This is a very real earth-shattering, earth-changing perspective for some of us today. So let's read from James' word this morning and uh, consider three specific warnings. In James chapter 4, starting in verse 11, Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law and not to judge whether it applies to you. God alone who gave the law is the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? 
Look here, you who say, today or tomorrow we are going to a certain town and we will stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans, and all such boasting is evil. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do, then not do it. Look here, you rich people. Weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth you were counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. For listen... Hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. The cries of those who harvest your fields who have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. You have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You have fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. These are intense words of warning. And if you want to hear the three warnings, just very simply, the first one is, you are in serious danger when critical speech and passing judgment are your regular operation. A critical attitude towards others, critical words towards others, and passing judgment on others. If this is your normal, you are in danger. Secondly, you are in serious danger If you act as if you are the end all and you make all your decisions with no plans or no regard for the Lord. Serious danger to make plans and to not have any regard for the Lord's plans. And the third one is you are in serious danger if you believe that money, luxury and satisfying your every desire is how you are supposed to live. These are three very clear warnings. And for some of us in this room, you know, the third one we'll talk about in particular may have been addressed to those who were not believers. And that's why James's tone changed a little bit. He's like, weep and mourn. He didn't call them brothers and sisters. He said, look here, you rich people. (laughs) His tone changes. And so there is some kind of a warning going on. But as Christ followers, you and I still need to heed that. We need to sit back and go, okay, Could I be building my life in a way that is not for a believer to build his life? First one is being critical of people and passing judgment. These two things are a result of what we talked about last week in God's wisdom or worldly wisdom. We saw that worldly wisdom paints a picture of, of selfish ambition, jealousy, and evil of every kind. So when we choose to think we know better, of course we're going to be critical and judgmental. When we think we're the end all, of course we're going to speak ill of people. But see, here's the, here's the defense most of us give. Well, I'm just helping them to see the error of their ways. Are you really? Are you praying for them in your prayer group or are you gossiping about them? See, there's the thing that comes with being critical about somebody. Is are you finding joy in seeing others called out, shamed and embarrassed? See, when we believe we're the end all and we're the wisdom that we should live by, then we are content making ourselves feel bigger than everyone else and we have no concern for their reconciliation with God in our critical speech of them. This is a very dangerous ground to be on as a Christ follower. Criticizing 
This word, slander, is to hurt or to crush someone. The, the visual image that is tied with this word is to actually move away from. So when you're saying you're, you're helping them and you're being critical of them with no intent to see God reconcile these people, you're actually moving yourself away from them rather than closer to them to bring them to reconciliation with God. So James is warning of critical speech. But then there's another word that James uses that I consider the, the hot mess word of this generation. And that is the word judge. And when I was in high school playing basketball, there were two things that my friends cared about. Shoes and getting the tattoo that said, only God can judge me. I'm, I'm not kidding you. Every one of my friends, even people I didn't know, got this tattoo that said, only God can judge me. Now, I understand the mentality behind the tattoo. A lot of these guys that I grew up with heard the words from teachers, from players, from people, from their families, that they were nothing. They would amount to nothing. They would never make it. They were failures, that they were terrible people. So I understand the desire to get the tattoo that says, you don't really know me, only God can judge me. But the thing was, when I watched how they lived, they really didn't live as if they believed that God was actually going to judge. But I understand the sentiment. I understand the desire to go, you don't really know me. You don't understand. You don't know what I've come from. But you're casting judgment upon me because you don't know the whole thing. James is actually quoting his older brother. In Matthew chapter 7, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, Let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. See, many, many, and many Christians try to end all arguments or conversations with the first four words of this verse. Do not judge others. That's how our society uses this phrase when we are confronted with the reality that we may be making a poor decision. So we just say, don't judge others. That's what the Bible says. Don't judge others. And we take it and we throw out everything Christ followers are to do in the lives of Christ followers. See, when many will attempt to shut down people up from offering warning with these words. To point out something dangerous in somebody's life is not passing judgment. Okay? It's exercising judgment. As Christ followers, you and I are called to exercise judgment. We are to consider the scripture. We are to go, God, if you're telling me this is how I'm to live, I am going to consider your words greater than the ways of this world. And if I am exercising judgment, I am walking into somebody's life and I'm saying, dude, I just don't know if this is the best decision to make. That is not passing judgment, which we'll talk about. I have um, a former student who uh, posted something on Facebook, and I've told this story before, and he was literally making one of the worst decisions he was going to make publicly on Facebook. Like, I can't tell you what it was. I'm not going to tell you what it was. It is one of the worst public confessions of this is what I'm going to do with my life I have ever seen on Facebook. I kid you not, the number of people underneath this post that were like, dude, go for it. You know what you're going to do. Totally wish I knew what I was going to do with my life. I mean, it's disastrous. And you had people saying, go for it. Thumbs up. You're right. Awesome. Go for it. Do this. One person, 
One person on this comment post said, dude, I don't know if that's the best idea. You would have thought the world was coming to an end with the number of arrogant, ugly responses he got for suggesting this might not be the best idea. Hashtag hater. You're just jealous. You don't know what you want to do with your life. You're dumb. You're stupid. I mean, it just was like this, this infantile response to someone expressing concern that this may not be the best decision. Presenting questions and concern for someone is not passing judgment, which is what you and I are not to do. Passing judgment is what is the warning we're seeing James speaking of. Because James says that you and I, when we pass judgment, are actually taking on the role of God. We are saying that we know the end from the beginning. When we label someone a waste, when we tell them they are a failure, when we tell them that they are dumb, when we say that they will never amount to anything, we are saying, without having all the knowledge that God does, that we know better than Him. So can you see why James was like, guys, avoid this. You are not God. There is one judge, and He alone holds the power of life and death. It's interesting, the word judgment here is is actually to evaluate. So you can begin to see when you say, I've evaluated everything. In in, in kids' sports today, they have an evaluation period where when a kid wants to sign up to play a sport, he comes before this coach who's got a paper and a pad, and he's supposed to grade the, the, the kid on a number of things so he can rightly place him on a team so that the teams aren't too stacked, the teams aren't too weak. And so he watches. He, he writes down the kid's height. He writes down the kid's coordination skills. He writes down the, the kid's speed. He writes down, can he handle the basketball? Can he do a layup? Can he go back and forth? Does he know the and outs of some of the games. And so what the coach does is he takes a full evaluation of this kid, looks at him and decides what is best for this kid in the league. And so he puts him in that. And so this is the type of judgment that we are not to pass. Because when we look at somebody and we say, you can't, you won't, this isn't going to happen, you're never going to, this, this type of statement coming from our mouth puts us in the place of God's place. The danger here is that we cast a final judgment on someone without knowing the entire picture. You and I fall into dangerous territory when we write someone off in the eyes of God. Do you realize that God has not brought his final judgment to earth? Do we realize that? Do you realize that God has not brought his final judgment to earth yet? I don't think we get that sometimes. And But we, we kind of write people off as if he has. And this is a very dangerous territory for Christ followers to stand in. To say phrases that you're too far from God's reach. Or to think those things. To say you're a terrible person. I'm better than you. These statements are concluding statements. We have been the judge, the jury, and the sentence without knowing all that God has planned We, in effect, say we know better than God about His law and His ways. For the Christ follower, this is the type of judgment you and I are to avoid. And simply, if if that doesn't make you want to consider it, as a Christ follower, ultimately, we are saying we believe that God has the final say. And if God has the final say, I do not. And so, as, as, as Christians, as those who say we worship God, passing judgment, we are not to be a part of. To exercise judgment you and I are called to do. 
James then warns about the danger of self-confidence and closely ties that to trust in money. When I boast in my plans and I forget to consider God's plans, why is this so dangerous? It's simply because I'm telling God how things are going to go. This, again, is dangerous ground to stand on as a believer. People talk as if they know what tomorrow holds. The Bible is full of promises. It's full of promises for those who are in Him. It's full of consequences for those who who choose the way of human pride and human wisdom over God's wisdom. But the one promise we do not see in the Bible is tomorrow. And so to act as if we know tomorrow is coming is to say, God, I know better than you. So again, James is warning, you've got to chill out on thinking you know more than God. Again, he's quoting Jesus. Jesus ties these two concepts of money and self-confidence really well together in a story he tells in Luke chapter 12. Starting in verse 13, he says, Then someone called from the crowd, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, Friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? I want you to take notice. When you read the Gospels, notice how many times Jesus passes the judgment hat off. He hands it off. And I love that, and I think it's telling of where we're headed with James's words. Then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told him a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, well, what should I do? I, haven't have, I don't have room for all my crops. And he said to himself, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend... You have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool. You will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Jesus concludes the story with, Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Here we see the danger of trusting our money and boasting in our own plans at the same time. We can become so unaware of the spiritual realities that Christ would rather have us centered on, the rich relationship with God, that we become consumed with the here and now, our plans, right now, I have to make the decision, I'm going to make this all work. Planning is not what James is talking about. Planning is not a bad thing, but planning without including God in your planning, that is the danger. He has no room, God has no room to interrupt or shift or change because typically we don't want him to. And Jesus tells the people that it's foolish to miss the rich relationship with God. See, everything I attempt, I accomplish, and I fail is under the authority of God. And I know that for some of you, that's going to be like, well, then I just shouldn't do anything. I shouldn't try anything. If God knows it all, God's doing it all, I might as well just sit down and do nothing. That's not what we're saying here. In fact, in James's letter, it says work. It says go to it. Keep busy because we know the one who is returning. Now, this also doesn't mean that I'm supposed to preface every statement to my wife. Hey, honey, let's go eat dinner if the Lord wills tonight. You know what? I think I'm going to wear my chucks today if the Lord wills. I wake up in the morning and I, if the Lord wills, I'm going to put my socks on. Now, for some of you, it may be a good start where you begin to think that way. But that's not what we're seeing here either. We're considering that the Lord has ultimate authority over all things in our lives. And we operate as people who are completely dependent upon His mercy, His grace, and His plans. It's a very dangerous place to ignore all of those things. 
So be finished with self-confidence, boasted about in this world. Cast yourself on the power and sovereignty of God. James also puts a very real spin on the way we think about what it means to be a Christ follower. He says, be careful, because to know what is right to do, to, do, to know what is right and to not do it, that is sin. How many Christ followers, I, you don't know how many Christ followers I know that all, they, that all they're concerned about is the thou shalt nots that God has commanded his people to walk in. I don't smoke, cuss, drink, or chew, and I don't go out with the girls that do. That's the mentality of American Christianity. I don't do these bad things, so I'm not as bad as those people. But James is painting a very different picture. He's saying, the one of you in the room who does not care for the needy, that is a, that is a call for us, the one who does not care for the needy is just as much on dangerous ground as the one who is in immorality. <laughs> This is a very different picture. And the greatest command Jesus gave us is not a do not. Did you know that? The greatest command when asked by these religious guys who all they did was sit around and talk about the commands. When Jesus was asked, they said, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That statement alone shatters any pride in my heart. Because who of us in this room loves the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength 24 hours a day. Anyone? On top of that, he said, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is not conditional. This is not an option. This is a command. <laughs> who have in here? Who? Anyone? Anyone? No? Okay. That should keep us humble. <laughs> that should keep us low to know that none of us have ever been able to accomplish that. There was only one person who did that, and they named the belief system after him. Jesus is the only one who ever loved God with everything he had, and loved his neighbor as himself. See, when we consider the, all the do's that we, are, we see in, in, in the scriptures, James is saying, look, you know what to do. And to not do those things, that's sin. So in regards to our wealth and trust in it, James uses some really harsh words. And as I told you, these words may have been shifted to the unbelieving crowd that might have been sitting there. But as believers, you and I still need to consider these words. He was calling the world out and saying, look, you, your best way of using money is hoarding it. You think that that's the best way and the best use of your money is to hoard it. And he says, in fact, your treasure will lead to your torment. He talks about how the treasure that we've built up, it will eat away at our flesh. Doesn't it do that? Isn't it when your focus is on money and do you have enough of it? Doesn't it just eat away at you? Like when you don't see that it's there, you're just like, I'm freaking out here. It's eating away at me. And he's not just saying that the temporary time is the money will cause this, this eating away, but ultimately that the trust in our money will condemn us. When God, when he comes and he does act as the righteous judge that he is, our trust in money will condemn us. This is not a good thing. This is a warning for us to go, how am I using my money? He is not saying money is evil, but the way we use it, it can be very evil. And you see people in this situation making money off the backs of people who they've wronged and hurt. And the Lord has heard their cry. And so in a society that self-indulgence rules in, in a culture driven by materialism, you and I must heed the warnings here. 
I'm going to read something to you from the book of Ezekiel. This is a huge book of warning, and this may shock some of you by his statement here, but listen to Ezekiel chapter 16, starting in verse 49, a very familiar city being described. Sodom's sins were pride, gluttony, and laziness, while the poor and needy suffered outside their door. She was proud and committed detestable sins, so I wiped her out as you have seen. We like to associate Sodom and Gomorrah and the destruction of this city and want for one thing, don't we? It's not what's mentioned here, is it? It may be wise to consider God's warning over our own pride and arrogance and judgmental attitudes where we have cast judgment where God has not sent his final judgment yet. One commentator put it this way, in the Jewish world, to deprive a person of their support was the same as murdering them. Wealth is not condemned, but sinful use of it is. How we use our money matters in the kingdom. The ultimate danger here for all three of these warnings is that all three of these warnings are anchored in self-satisfaction. All three of these warnings are anchored in, I know what's best. Whether I'm critical or judgmental, meaning I know better than God about any of these people so I can pass judgment. Whether it's making my own plans, it's me saying, I've got the plans in place. I know what I'm going to do. You're not going to stop me. Or I'm going to build my wealth. I'm going to build my castle. All of it is finding self-satisfaction, which is what we see the scripture calling people out from. You will not find life in and of yourself. You will only find full life in the wisdom of God. The answer is not in any of these three ways of living, but James then addresses in the meantime. This is how we are to live. Starting in James chapter 5, with verse, start with verse 7. And as the band, you guys can go ahead and come on up. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. The coming of the Lord was to cause Christ followers to take courage, not be afraid, but to gain strength from knowing that His return was coming. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. To judge and to grumble is to not understand the depth of our own sin. To only look at Jesus, you can't help but remain humble. For examples of patience in suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We gave great honor to those who endure suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. But most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no, so that you will not sin and be condemned. It's amazing that, that James's warning kind of lands with, just say yes or no. You don't have to make a big show of it. I swear, I swear to God, I swear, I swear. I swear on my mother's grave. I swear on this. I swear on that. I swear here, here, up and down, left and right. I will give you my left foot. I don't know what to do. That was my right foot. I'm sorry. Um, my left foot. But James is amazing because he simply says, look, just say yes or no. 
You don't have to make a big show about anything, but to be reliable by just your word is an amazing mark of the Christ follower. And it's an amazing result of someone who goes, I know the Lord's coming. I know he's going to make everything right. All that's been wrong, he is going to take care of. He will be the final judge. He will have the final say. And until that day, I will work as the prophets worked at letting people know of the good news of Jesus, the mercy that is available. But yet at the same time, I will let them know that a very real judge will come and his word will be the final say over all time and eternity. In Psalm 141, the psalmist says it this way, let the godly strike me, it will be a kindness. If they correct me, it is soothing medicine. Don't let me refuse it. See, the Christ follower's desire is reconciliation between man and God through faith in Christ Jesus. And as we minister to each other, that is our desire. First and foremost, not to be proved right, not to be saying we know better, but to say, seriously, dude, this is for your good to be reconciled to God. Where you are running is not going to bring the satisfaction you long for. In Proverbs 10, people who accept discipline are on the pathway to life, but those who ignore correction will go astray. In Proverbs 28, 23, in the end, people appreciate honest criticism far more than flattery. Church, this is not a time to clam up and say nothing because in the end, that does no one any good. Do you realize that? But it is also not a time to stand up and say, go for it, do whatever you want. Yes, you can do whatever you want. We live in a free country. You should do anything you want. I will sit down in a conversation with you and tell you you are correct in your thinking that yes, anyone can do anything they want. And yes, God does allow it. We see it in scripture. Yes, we see that. But I will debate with you. Regardless of how firm you are in your statement of the choice anyone should be able to make, you cannot untie the consequences to the decisions that people will make. Do you understand that God has set in stone the results of decisions? You cannot shift the results of a decision made in human wisdom and think you will get godly results. It will not happen. God has tied the results to the decisions. And so for me to stand over on the side and say, go ahead and do whatever you want. Do whatever you want. It's a good thing. It's a great thing. In the end, it says right here, it does no one any good to flatter them. Because we all understand that eternity will be wrapped up with the judge's final say. But I told you in the beginning that Jesus passed over the judgment hat multiple times in Scripture when he was referred to. John 3.16 says this, For this is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent His Son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through Him. Again, in John chapter 8, starting in verse 15, You judge me by human standards, but I do not judge anyone. And if I did, my judgment would be correct in every respect because I... I'm not alone. The Father who sent me is with me. Jesus passed off the judgment card for now. I'm not judging. I'm saving. Please do not get my mission twisted. Friends, the, the mercy that was available to the woman at the well is the same mercy that's available to you and I today. 
The mercy that was available to the woman caught in adultery is the same mercy that's available to you and I today. The mercy that was available to the cheating tax collector, to the prostitute, to the leper, to the people that Jesus encountered in the scripture is the same mercy that is available to us today. Jesus does not stand at our door and judge. He stands at our door to rescue. Do you see Jesus as judge? Because that's not the hat he wears now. You and I are in the window of mercy. There will come a, a time when our works and where our faith was placed will speak for themselves. There will be no talking at judgment. I don't think there will be because our works will show where our faith was placed. I believe that Jesus has invited us through this mercy to not have to experience the judgment of God. Jesus experienced the full wrath of the Father on the cross so that you and I would not have to taste a drop of it. We live in the window of mercy. Respond to the mercy this morning. Run to Christ. Put down the worldly wisdom and run to Jesus for the rescue that he has invited us to. This morning there will be some, some elders and some gel leaders over here to pray for you. I know that when we're warned, our tendency is to go, not me. My prayer is that it, you will say, that's for me. And I need to heed the warning of the scripture. I'll be standing over here, and if you're one who would say, I've never responded to the mercy, I've only seen Jesus as judge, well, I want you to know the scripture paints the picture of mercy extended. And until God comes to judge the world one and final time, you and I are in the same window of mercy. Would you respond to it? Father, thank you for loving us, and I just ask that in these moments you would help us see you for who you are. God, you would shatter our false views of you and you would shatter all the things that we've come to believe and think that are based on worldly wisdom. Help your church know you better than anything else. Forgive us for worldly wisdom and culturally wisdom influencing us more than you. Jesus, thank you for the mercy that you extended to us knowing we would make awful decisions based on our wisdom and you still extend mercy. Let us run to the cross. It's in your name we pray.